You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. So this morning, the sermon is coming out of Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. And the ascension really is, uh, in my mind, the most miraculous thing that Jesus did. Because if the Bible is true, then Jesus went above and beyond what any human has ever done and experienced that which no human has ever experienced. He transcended time and space and entered heaven. And I think a story like this really grips us because I think if we're honest with ourselves just as human beings, we want to experience the same thing, what it's like to really transcend, what it's like to go beyond the limits of what we know of our emotions, our thoughts, our experiences because honestly we we find regularly that we're limited we're limited in how much we can enjoy things how much we can experience things how much our emotions can actually handle things we look at a a beautiful piece of artwork or listen to a beautiful piece of music have you ever had that moment where you thought this is so beautiful i just can't take it i'm overwhelmed by this i had a friend who sent me photos of their recent visit to Yosemite in California, and, and, it, and it just causes us to stop. We have no words, and we realize that there is a cap on my emotion. There's a cap on my ability to be able to handle this, to take this. And I think really in there that there's, a, there's just a, a root that says, gosh, I wish I could go beyond that. I wish I could experience this for all that it, that it could be experienced as. One of my favorite singer-songwriters is a guy, a guy named Bob Schneider. He wrote a song a number of years ago called King of the World. This is a very, very sad personal song that I love very much. Um, he sings the latter half of the, of the song, the last, actually the last stanza. Time goes by like an old friend gone away, and I am just a mortal man. Death will be my final lover, and life will always be something that I'll never understand. I think just in human terms, and I'm and I'm I'm saying this is like we're throwing the Bible out and we're just saying, on human terms, we can relate to these words. That when we hear Bob's words, his confession is our confession. Because I can tell you that at the point in the concert when he sings this song and these words, the hands are not up and woo, none of that's going on. Because what's happening is there's a me too in that moment. Me too. Whether it's time or life or love or understanding, they seem to leave us. And maybe because Sojourn Montrose and Sojourn Heights is a young church, maybe we don't feel the weight of what it is for things to really leave us. But when it comes to time, we do. We agree that it slips through our fingers and whatever time brought it takes away. Love, we want to secure this deep, abiding love. We don't want to lose the ones that we love, but we're reminded by these lyrics that one day the last love we will know is, is, is the arms of death embracing us. And life itself slips through our fingers. One day we're going to die. We are mortal. And really when it comes to understanding, there are plenty of times where we look at the horizon and we maybe just look at the world itself and maybe there's just this thing of like, man, I just don't get it. 
I don't understand. And I think the, the seed in these lyrics is, is a little dream of, of Bob's, if I could, could kind of manipulate him. Um, but his dream is our dream, really. That maybe if we could get those things, maybe if we could somehow secure that time, that love, that life, and that understanding, that maybe we could rise above that ceiling. We could break through that wall and that cap. If we would utilize our time or cheat death or save our life or somehow secure a deep abiding love and see beyond the veil of understanding that maybe we could live this wonderful personal certain secure life and maybe life could be good again maybe life could be the best it's ever been now the bible does have something to say about our need that need in the text today Acts is a very interesting book. Um, it's not a gospel. Gospel is what Jesus did. It's not an epistle. It's not a letter to a church like Corinthians or the letter to Galatians. Or, um, it's not a corrective letter or a encouraging, necessarily an, an, a letter of encouragement of correction or direction. But it's, it's a book made up of a, a number of different things. But it's not a gospel and it's not, a, it's not an epistle. It's something different. It's authored by Luke, the same author of the Gospel of Luke. So when Luke says in verse 1, in the first book that I wrote to you, O Theophilus, when he says the first book, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke. Like, I I told you what Jesus began to do and teach. Now, in this book, I'm actually teaching you about what he continued to do. This is written about 30 years after Jesus' death, and he addresses it to Theophilus, who could have been a Roman official, or some, someone of some social importance. Um, so what we're going to do when we dive into the text today is just look at three things. And I, I give these to you for you and for me because I'll, I'll, I'll jump off on tangents if I don't have these kind of bumpers. Um, we're going to talk about how we try to ascend, how Jesus ascended, and how in Jesus we ascend. But before we get to the ascension and, and really what that means for us and the world, I want to take a look and start in verse 6 with our first point and consider something just about the disciples. So let's, let's look at Acts 1.6. It, it reads like this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's very interesting because we, we see in verse 3 that Luke recounts that after Jesus' resurrection, he, he appears in many proofs, uh, kind of like Marshall talked last week and like we see in the text today, that he appears to 500 people. He appears to all these different people, all the, all the disciples and uh, some women and, but in the, you know, on the road to Emmaus and explains the scriptures. So he's appearing to people after his resurrection by many proofs, proving and giving evidence. Like, look, I am alive. I am not dead. But he spent 40 days with the disciples, teaching them specifically about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, the word kingdom here, meaning the royal reigning of God. Almost like talking about like the royal reign of God. Not maybe not just like the kingdom, like as if it had like if it had walls and borders, but like the idea of a reigning and ruling God. The disciples had a fundamental misunderstanding of what Jesus meant. And it's, it's important for us to know, again, that Jewish, the Jewish people were expecting Jesus to be a political, military hero, 
He's going to come in, eliminate Roman occupation, set up Israel as this new kingdom, and really look to the Jews as this prized people, this prized possession. And the disciples would have had that image in mind. And a number of commentators are really, really hard on the disciples about this, about this question, because they're thinking in verse 3, like, he spent 40 days with the disciples, and he explained everything, and now they're saying, hey, wait, what about our kingdom? And he's just spent 40 days. But really, the fundamental misunderstanding for the, for the disciples was rooted in a personal desire, because they had a dream of how it used to be good for them how it used to be good for them in Israel because the word restore, the word that the disciples use, meaning it means this in its original language, to change to an earlier good state or condition. So not just give back. On a heart level, they were asking, when are you going to make it good again? When is it going to be a wonderful life again for us and our people and our country in this kingdom? Like what we had before when you were our God and we were your people and we had this good land and we had this good life. They want that wonderful, personal, certain, transcendent life as well. And they ask, are you going to do that? They're not different than we are. And Christ's response is wonderful, gentle, and clarifying. It's not for you to know times or seasons, verse 7, that the Father has fixed by his own authority But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Do we see what's happening? He doesn't come down on them for their misunderstanding. He doesn't say you got it all wrong. And he's not saying to them, it's not for you to know. This is not a gruff response. This is, there's no way you can know what God has fixed by his authority. There's no way that you can know. This is what you can know, though. My Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and the rest of the world. Now, this isn't necessarily a one-to-one illustration, but it reminds me of a time when my um, Abigail is our, our oldest daughter. She's three, and she came to me a number of months ago, and she picked up my phone. Um, she loves to watch Peppa Pig on my phone all the time, and so... My phone's missing. I know who has it and what's being watched. So uh, she picks up my phone and she just holds it in front of me and she says, Daddy, is, is this mine? Can I have this? And I remember I, I took the phone out of her hand and I looked, I looked her in the eye and I said, Baby, all of this is yours. Mommy and da- well, everything that Mommy and Daddy have is yours. Everything. And I... And in reading Jesus' response to the disciples saying, are you going to make it good again? Are you going to give us our kingdom, this Israel kingdom? And he says, it's better than that. It's bigger than that. You're going to get Israel and everything else thrown in. It's going to be the whole world. And you're going to be a part of it. You're going to help usher it in. And I know you don't understand that but it's going to bring goodness and joy and security to you and to the rest of the world. It is for you, but it's for everyone else as well. And really in this, Jesus is calling us, the Bible is calling us to live 
as if that transcendent, wonderful, personal, certain life is secure. Because he's telling them, like, this is what you're going to go and do. This is what you're going to go and be witnesses of. And so the Bible is telling us that the transcendent life that Jesus is calling us to is, is through this. And so we better be about it. Jesus says to them and to us, you were made to live this. You were made to walk this way without worry of losing time, without worry of losing love or life or understanding because my spirit will be with you. So we should just go live as if it's true. That's what the Bible is calling us to. But what we find in trying to live out that reality is that just as human beings, if that's just the human call is just to go and do, then we find that we're regularly disappointed. And really the way that it breaks down is we just, we, we're disappointed with reality. It's interesting that we have expectations. We expect things to go a certain way in our relationships, in our jobs, our parishes, with our money and with our health, with our marriages. And we're usually only content when things go as planned or better. And sometimes that happens. We get a little shot of dopamine when our expectation and reality meet up and we feel like, man, this is the life. This is the good life. This is the, this is the intersection. And sometimes that happens. But usually what we expect and what actually happens, the difference between the two is disappointment. So how... How do we deal with this disappointment? If the call is to live this transcendent life as if we don't have anything to worry about, as if we're going to be given everything by, the Bible says you're going to get all of this. You don't have to worry about losing life or love or understanding or time. You don't have to worry about that. But when we deal with it just on our own, in our own flesh, just as human beings, we just find that we're regularly disappointed because we can't get it. Just We can't get it. We can't white-knuckle it. We can't make it happen. And we, we really do deal with this disappointment by either becoming numb or becoming naive. We can either numb our hearts and just become pessimistic, like, you know, it's just life. Just up and down. Inconsistent. You know, c'est la vie, I guess. We can, we can have that attitude and that approach. Or we can become naive where everything constantly takes us off guard. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe this happened to me. But those routes don't guard us from disappointment or satiate our need for things to be certain, personal, or wonderful. And that's why the ascension of Jesus into heaven is so important. And that's what brings us to point number two, how Jesus ascended. Christ's death and resurrection are really like a grenade and the ascension is like the pin. So if I pulled out a, a grenade right now, I don't have one. But if I pulled one out right now, a lot of things would change in the room. Like we'd have a lot of thoughts and emotions, <laughs> like a lot would happen, right? There'd be like everything from like, no way, to that's awesome, to I better leave, or you know, I shouldn't have come in the first place. <laughs> Front row was a bad choice. But all we would be thinking, including the guy with the mic, all we'd be thinking is, don't pull the pin. Don't pull the pin. If you don't pull the pin, then nothing happens. Nothing changes. 
You pull the pin, everything changes. You pull the pin, you guys are talking next week about where you were when Dots pulled the pin. The ascension of Jesus is God pulling the pin and releasing all that Jesus accomplished on the earth into the universe, into creation. It shows us that he's not just our suffering servant who came, died, and rose from the dead. That's amazing enough. But he is now in his ascension our currently ruling, currently conquering king. And that's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And so when he ascended and sat at the right hand of God the Father as Psalm 110 talks about this place of honor and power, he's actually fulfilling what our hearts long to do to transcend to that beautiful, perfect existence and life. When Jesus was raised and appeared to the disciples, he came in a glorified human body. And I really want us to catch this. In Luke 24, if you look at the latter half of Luke 24, it kind of mirrors the first part of Acts. In Luke 24, the disciples see him, and it says that they think he's a spirit. But he says, look at my hands and look at my feet. It's me. It's myself, he says. It's the words. Touch me. Touch me because a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. I do. The ascension is the story of the Son of God moving to heaven in a human body to set up a permanent presence in heaven. He didn't time travel. He didn't get into a spaceship. We're not living, this is, Tim Keller puts it this way, we're not living as if God is in the attic and we're on the, on the first floor. Jesus is in heaven as a human being, a glorified human being. I don't have any time to go into all of the implications that that means. We'll get into a little bit of that, but they're endless. Uh, Johnny Woodrow, who's a British pastor, says that we're tempted to believe that it's because there's a human being floating into the air while the apostles are staring on. Where is he going? <laughs> We're tempted to believe, really, that it's more, somehow, that it's more fantastical than that. Or we think it's more spiritual than that. Um, but Johnny Woodrow puts it this way. He says, Jesus didn't show up to the disciples, then unzip a human skin suit and float into the air with a harp and wings like a ghost <laughs> he is right now living in a glorified human body on the throne of the universe fully God and fully man wielding all authority in heaven and on earth and that's the outrageous and wonderful claim of the ascension that Jesus is king of the entire created order that's why he can say that's why we can read in Colossians that he's going to reconcile all things because he is now over all things. 
the deepest parts of the ocean and the deepest recesses of space. He is king over it all in the ascension. And this is amazing because what does he do with that power as our mediator, as our sacrifice? He's able to take and apply all that he did to anyone, anywhere. Psalm 68 shows him using his authority this way. He ascended on high, leading a host of captives. That's you and me who have claimed him, who have believed that he is the son of God, that that God did raise him from the dead. Leading a host of captives in his train and receiving gifts among men, meaning that he claimed gifts in his ascension and he gave them to us, to men and women, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Where? With us with the captives. When Jesus ascends to heaven, the Father pours out his Holy Spirit, not only upon us, but into us. And that's his, as he sits down at the throne and tell, and he says, he's told the disciples, wait here in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And then his Holy Spirit that he's promised is poured out when he sits down in his throne. That is his benediction that the Lord God may dwell there with those host of captives. That's you and that's me. Anyone who has claimed Christ so that Jesus would actually come to live inside men and women who have found faith in him. See, it's, it's the very reason why Jesus said in the book of John, it is to your advantage that I go away. Otherwise, the helper won't come. The Holy Spirit won't come. And the reason that he knows that that's good is because this is, this is, this is his Obi-Wan Kenobi moment. Sorry for the reference. But, it's, but I'm serious. When Obi-Wan Kenobi is fighting Darth Vader and he says, you can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Because as Jesus is struck down and he ascends, he spreads himself through his children everywhere. Through his ascension and pouring out his spirit, he rules over all creation and indwells every single person who truly believes that he is who he says he is. And that's how he becomes more powerful than we could ever imagine. Because he's not just taking up temporal space anymore. He's in every Christian. Hear this. We have a closer relationship with Jesus now than the disciples did then. Because he lives inside of us. He, was, he is closer to you. If you have claimed Christ, he is closer to you than he was to Peter. And it's not just a relationship. As verse 8 says, it's power. The Holy Spirit is power. It's the same word in the Greek as authority or strength. And it communicates, the root word communicates the ability to carry something out. So God doesn't just pour out his spirit on his disciples in his ascension and say, good luck figuring out how to wield this power. It's within the Holy Spirit that the ability to carry it out resides because the Spirit's desire is to see Jesus regarded as king in all the world. And so the Holy Spirit, wherever it indwells, it compels us by the love of Christ to see his kingdom expanded. So this is how God is going to expand his kingdom through 
us as witnesses, through the people in the world as witnesses. The disciples asked in verse, in verse 6, will you now establish the kingdom? And Jesus says, no, you will. By my spirit, you will be my witnesses. This is the plan of kingdom expansion, is my spirit stretching out over all people who have claimed me to go and make disciples of all nations so that the ends of the earth will know joy, will know life, will know light. And that's exactly how Jesus' teaching continues and how his kingdom expands. That's why Luke 1 begins in verse 1 with, in the first book I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The began is it's terribly important. Because it suggests that Jesus isn't done. And the reason he isn't done is because he's still alive. He's on the throne. And by his spirit, he's still doing through us. He's still teaching through us. He's still at work in us and through us. And he's teaching and doing from the throne where he rules over all things and is bringing everything in subjugation underneath his feet. And now that Christ has come to live in you, those of you who have claimed Christ, we are ambassadors. We are all ambassadors. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, that God is now making his appeal through us. So that when we do and teach, the voice of Christ comes through. You are the teachers. It's like what Paul says. I can't remember the, can't remember the verse But he tells the people, you heard Christ. Someone else preached, but you heard Christ testify to himself through someone else. So to engage people, that is our call now, is that we are conduits through which God is making his resurrection, his ascension, and his kingdom known. To engage people, to tell them about what Christ has done, to love them, to know them, to build relationships with them, to expose them to this community that's family. Show them, to show them what a good family looks like with a good father and a good son who's made brothers and sisters out of his enemies. And just as, a, just as a sidebar, in, in verse 1 where, where Luke says to do and teach, began to do and teach, the and in between do and teach is a Greek word, taike, and it's basically like a double and, to do and and teach. It intensifies the relationship between doing and teaching. See, Jesus, when he came, he wasn't just a teacher and he wasn't just a doer. There was, a, there was an intense link between what he did and what he taught. And that's the, the message to us is that's, that's what we're going to be in Christ as well. We're not going to be people who only do and, and, the, and the gospel becomes a social justice gospel. And we're not going to be just people who teach as if the, the gospel becomes just a, a, a theology education. No, we're going we're, we're to be people who do both. That is why our, our vision statement is so important when we say joining the Father, Son, and Spirit in the historic work of redemption. We're joining God in the work that he is continuing to do, that he has been doing from the church in Acts to 
the church in Sojourn Montrose. And that brings us really to point three, and this is where we'll close. So we've talked about where, where, what, what we wanted, just a human desire as people to transcend to a life that's certain, that's more wonderful than we can imagine, that really is tangible. And we talked about how Jesus in his ascension has made that available to the entire world. And he's going to make his appeal through us. That's how the kingdom is going to expand. But really, this last point is how in Jesus we ascend. Because see, when Jesus ascends, he takes our humanity to heaven. It's his promise of glory to us. It's his promise. It's him saying, for those of you who have found faith in me, this is where you're destined to be. Because all that is true of Christ, if you have claimed faith in him, all that is true of Christ, that is true of you. It's like Paul says in Ephesians 2, that when God saved us in Christ, he actually raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places. The heavenly places. United in Christ by faith, we are spiritually seated with him at the Father's right hand. The first among many brothers and sisters. We are ascended with him. We are where he is and he is where we are. He is, (laughs) I love the way Isaiah puts it, that he is in the highest highs and the lowest lows. He is with us here on earth and he is at the throne room. He is on the throne in heaven. See, our destiny on earth is is death, and we can't rise above that without this. In Christ, heaven is blasted wide open, and the destiny of man is to be with God in Christ, glorified forever. And while we are no longer earthly citizens, our home is heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship. We still have a human Christ on the throne which means that we can't turn our back on the world in its agony. We have been drawn out. We have been called out. We've been called up in that train that Psalm 68 talks about for Jesus to share gifts with us. We've been drawn out to be sent back in so that others may know that Jesus came for them and not just for us. God is expanding the kingdom by his spirit through us, his children. What does that look like in, every, in the day-to-day? What does that look like for Sojourn Montrose? And I'm just, I, I'm just gonna to talk a little bit about that, but I, I really hope that you all work this out in your parishes or that you're continuing to work this out in your parish families. Because what does it look like for us day-to-day to expand the kingdom? to be about kingdom expansion. I can tell you, number one, that in the ascension and where God has placed us and what God has shared with us, we will be a humble people because our God has forgiven us much and has allowed us to sit in such a prized seat as sons and daughters. Do you know that you don't have to fight for position anymore? 
You don't have, it doesn't matter what position you hold at work or what position you hold in your family or what position you, like, you don't have to fight for that anymore because Christ has already fought on your behalf. You hold that position as a beloved son and daughter. Anything that you would fight to secure acceptance or love or power or control, Christ has it and he shared it with you. He shared it with us. You're not going to miss anything. We can also be a confident people because our God has secured a certain personal, wonderful present and an even more glorious future. We can confidently share the gospel. We can boldly share the gospel. And this is the beautiful thing is that we're going to be a gentle people but a courageous people. We can love one another and those who don't know Jesus in ways that cost us because our God loved us in a way that cost him everything. Maybe it means bringing extra food over to a parish gathering because our God brings more than we ask for. Maybe it means that when we gather for a parish dinner, we're going to do one another's dishes or we're going to clean the room. We're going to clean their bedroom because we have a God that creates order out of chaos. Maybe it means building friendships with those that we have nothing in common with, that we have no life experiences with, no personality overlap, because God made sons and daughters out of his enemies. Maybe it means that when new artists join the residency, maybe we set up a meal train to make sure that they don't only get paid but fed. Maybe... We're going to live as kingdom come people, living on earth as it is in heaven because our God did the same. Now with Jesus as king, guiding us by his spirit, we will see his kingdom expanded for his glory and for our joy and in Christ. No matter what time we've lost, no matter what love we've lost, no matter what understanding we don't have, no matter what... <laughs> you will not miss anything in Christ. For those of you who think, I'm never going to get married, or you're wondering if you ever get married, maybe you won't ever get married, but I can tell you there's going to be a wedding feast. And there's going to be real wine and real food and a real groom, a real bride. There's going to be a real wedding. Maybe for those of you who who won't ever have children. There's going to, there's a glorious family here at Sojourn Montrose, but there will be a humanly glorified family in the kingdom, and we will be brothers and sisters with a good dad and a good son, a glorious family. Maybe for some of you, I don't know, for some of you who haven't had, you didn't have a good dad, you're not going to miss anything because there's a good father with real arms and a real heart is waiting for you. And he's here for you now. We pray for us.